Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we have just like, been so blessed by you, the one whose greatness is immeasurable, who's it's beyond understanding and searching out and reason, and yet um, you being so great and wonderful still have come to us and shown us this wonderful and incredible grace in Christ. What, what is it that we can do? What is it that we can say in response to your wonderful goodness to us? But that we acknowledge your greatness, your grandeur. We love you. And we, we want to make much of you. So help us, Lord, today. As we come to your word and we see, we are again reminded of some of the wonderful things that you've done for us, like these, these spiritual truths and realities that we read in your word, they're not, they're not just doctrinal ideas and theological terms. For those of us that are in Christ, they are true. They are realities. And I pray, God, that as we see these things today, that you would well up within us a deep and humble gratitude to you and, and help us, Lord, to have our, 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 our entire lives set upon making much of you wherever we are. Father, please deliver us from the selfishness of saying that, you know, this, this part of my life is for me or, or this time of my life is for me. Lord, you are the one who is eternal, eternally blessed forevermore. May we seek to see you magnified in your greatness always in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful time being able to worship together like that. I, like I'm looking forward to heaven when we all get to I mean, there's going to be a much bigger choir in heaven. It's going to be really cool. And I'm looking forward to that and singing with everybody um, as we gaze upon him and we look to him. What an incredible privilege it is. Um, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. I'm talking about the grace of faith. The grace of faith. We're going to see a couple things. We're going to see three things in our, in our passage today that we have by faith. And we're going to see that it is entirely by the grace of God that we have these things. I mean, it is his gracious disposition in nature that what it is we read about this morning is actually ours. And we never want to forget that. Uh, forget that. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 marks a momentous shift in the book of Romans. Um, it launches us into a gospel-oriented trajectory. There's been very little, if you've been keeping track or reading through Romans, there's been very little mention of the gospel really up until this point. And the book, though, it takes, like, catapults us off in that direction in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. The things that have been magnified and highlighted so far 
are these kind of these two towers. One has been man's sinfulness, and the other one has been God's righteousness, and rightly so. Like, you have to see those things for what they are in the eyes of God. There's been a tremendous amount of emphasis upon man's sinfulness, our wretchedness, our depravity. Like, I know we don't like passages like that. We want to get to the warm, fuzzy, feel-good passages. Um, but you ha- we have to face the reality of how God sees sin and how God sees sinful mankind. You, you've got to get there. You've got to embrace it. Because when you do, in contrast to man's sinfulness and wickedness, the glory and the, gr- and the grace that's shown to us in the gospel, just it bursts, it shines brightly as it should. So on one hand, the, the sinfulness of man has been this monumental tower that we've been looking at and studying. It's made an emphasis to us in the book of Romans. The other monumental tower that has been emphasized to us is the righteousness of God. Man's sinfulness and God's righteousness, they're kind of different from one another. Like there is this huge gap in between our sinful condition and the righteous, holy perfection of God, which he never is not. He's always that way. And because of man's sinfulness, we don't like to see the righteousness of God because it reminds us of our separation from him. And that's the reason that these two things have been emphasized. They're, they're, they're like two spires that are rising up, paralleling one another. So that when we get to chapter 3, verse 21, and we move forward, and the gospel, the good news, becomes front and center, we begin to see, oh, this is how my sinfulness and God's righteousness can actually be a good thing to me as a believer when I understand them rightly. Because the, what Christ has done for me in the gospel It bridges, it makes reconciliation possible. Me as this sinful person and God as this righteous, holy person can actually have fellowship and be reconciled with one another once again because of what Christ has done. And that is good news. And so he brings the gospel that's kind of been in the background thus far in Romans to the foreground, front and center. He wants us to see what it is that Christ has done. What does the person that has faith in Christ actually possess? What is ours? And I'm not talking about like later, then, what's to come. I'm talking about as you sit in this chair today, as you get up tomorrow morning, Lord willing, what is it that you possess now? today. And it's this gift of faith and what it is that accompanies the faith that God has so graciously and wonderfully bestowed upon us. Let's read Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26 together and we want to look at these things this morning. Chapter 3, verse 21 begins, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over sin, former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want us to look at this passage today in terms of real truths, spiritual realities that have taken place for those who are in Christ and how these eternal truths are um, hanging in the balance for us. So again, my, my, one of my prayers as I, as I prepare to preach, as I prepare to study, I'm coming to the text and I'm not going, Lord, show me some good theology. Give me some good doctrine here that I can learn and that I can then talk about. I want to know that stuff. I want to know truth. For sure, absolutely. But I want to be changed. I want to be transformed by that truth. I want the one who is speaking through this text to me and to you to hear his voice and, to be, and for, for it to change us. This is not about doctrinal data mining. This is not about just accumulating more stuff. I, I, I say this often. Full disclosure, my goal for you is the same as it is for me that there would be an actual incremental growth and change to be like Christ because of what it is that we see in his word today. And so I think we need to view this text. We need to view all the Bible in that way. Lord, what are you speaking and what are you saying through your divine word to me to make me more like Christ, to prepare his bride collectively as well for his return? I want us to see today something that perhaps maybe you've thought about before, maybe you haven't, as faith being the instrument of our salvation and not the grounds of it. There's a big difference. And we want to tease that out as we work through here because one allows you to really enjoy what God has given to you, what, you, what is yours in Christ, that you possess via union with him now. The other one leaves you wondering every day, moment by moment, it seems, does God really love me? What do I need to do to, to, to have him love me more, to please him more? When you see what it is that is yours by virtue of faith, because God has given it to you, it sets you free to want to live for him. The other one is, is, is imprisoning. It shackles you, keeps you wondering and guessing, how do I know if I'm right with God? And how do I know if he's pleased with me? How do I know I can be sure of what Christ has done for me? So we want to look at faith as the instrument of our salvation. Firstly, what it is that we see in our passage today in verses 21 and 22, that faith is the instrument of sight. Faith is the instrument of sight. What does he say in verse 21? But now, right? It, 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 it draws our attention to this idea that there is something different now versus before. And what is that? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's not that God's righteousness has changed. His righteousness is always the same. 
but it's the lens through which you see the righteousness of God that has changed. Do you see the righteousness of God through the lens of by faith in Christ? Or do you see his righteousness through the lens of the law? Both of them reveal God's righteous character, but his righteousness revealed through the law is frightful and condemning. It reveals my wickedness and my sin, as it should, that Paul will teach us later on in Romans. But to see God's righteousness by faith in Christ, oh, that changes everything. It makes me no longer want to run from his righteousness and, 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 and fear him as if I'm going to be condemned and judged. But it draws me to his righteousness, to worship him, to be in awe of him, to give him the praise and the glory that he is due. Like at the men's breakfast yesterday, James read um, Psalm 145 to us, and that is just being able to see the righteousness of God by faith in Christ, that you can respond to him in such, such a song of worship. And that's how his righteousness is revealed. But now in Christ, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made visible. It's made, been made clear. Apart from the law, again, it's not a different kind of righteousness, rather the way that we see his righteousness. This is what has changed. The law and the prophets have always attested to the righteousness of God. I was reading earlier this week in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. says this. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. I mean, that's everywhere. Sayings like that are everywhere in Proverbs. Righteousness delivers from death. Whose righteousness? Yours? Mine? The, the, The law and the prophets have always testified to this righteousness that delivers from death. But all the time in the Old Testament, through types and shadows, can never fully clear see can never fully see clearly the righteousness of God that was able to deliver us from death but now in Christ we now know what was hidden before is now made clear and revealed and made visible in Christ the old testament always bearing witness to the work of Christ now completely and fully and finally revealed in Christ. And this is really kind of the point of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and being ministers of the new covenant. That there was a, there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of right, but the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. He's in, in 2 Corinthians 3, he's comparing the Old Testament law and the giving of that and the glory that came with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai to Moses. Like that incredible seen and he's saying as as incredible and glorious as that scene was there's a glory that surpasses it but you can only see that glory if you behold it by faith faith is the instrument by which we see the righteousness of god 
properly. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness. Notice the word bears, present term. It's still doing that. Paul doesn't look at the law as saying that's what it used to do. He's saying this is what it currently does, and it is what it will always do. The law of God always bears witness to the righteousness of God. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, God's righteousness, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Faith is the instrument of sight whereby you see the righteousness and the glory of God and you enjoy it. You want more of it and you embrace it and you love his glory. And you no longer see his glory as a competitor to your own glory. Seeing his glory through the eyes of faith makes you want to throw off your glory. Makes me want to, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease. If my life is all about me becoming less of me and me decreasing, but him increasing and God being more glorified in my life day by day, moment by moment, sign me up. That's what the eyes of faith behold. The righteousness of God through Christ. The question is, what lens do you see his righteousness through? I mean, through the lens of Christ, I see his righteousness completely different all throughout this whole book. You know, I, I, I put on these and I can't see this. You all look wonderful out there. But I put on these, and now I can read my notes. I can read my Bible. I can see clearly. Through the lens of Christ, I can see the glory of God. It's no longer distorted. I can read through the Old Testament, and I see where God reveals his glory, and I'm like, that's the glory of Christ. That's the glory of the Son. And I love it, and I embrace it, and it leads me to worship him. So faith is the instrument of sight. What it is that we must behold by sight is concerning Christ is really what it is that we have seen in the book of John. John would give us the purpose of his book, his gospel, in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. To be able to see the righteousness of God through Christ means that you first see Christ. You have this confession of him that he is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is God. He's the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And when you see him that way and you believe in him in that way, then you have life in him. And having life in him, it changes completely the way that you see the holiness and the righteousness and the character of God. So faith in him is what provides sight. Secondly, though, it's faith is an instrument of God's grace. We see this in verse 23 and 24. It's as if Paul, the Lord would quickly remind us before we get too far as to what it is that we have by faith. He reminds us where faith comes from. Don't get too proud that you now see the righteousness of God 
in a way that other people don't, remember, if you do so, it's because God has graciously allowed you to. What does he say in 23 and 24? The righteousness of God through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ for all who believe, right? This is the view for all believers. It should be. This is the eyesight for all believers to see the righteousness of God correctly. But then he talks about the universal nature of what it is that Christ has done. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This all that he's talking about, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, is he's keeping this Jew and Gentile distinction going that he has all had the whole time throughout the book of Romans. It's as if he were to say, there is no distinction between Jew and between Gentile. Every single Jew and every single Gentile have fallen short of the glory of God. This is a, a mankind, a humankind problem. And it's impacted us all. And what has happened is that we have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. It actually says we have sinned and fall short. We have sinned past and we fall currently short of the glory of God. You see there's ongoing effects of the fall of when sin entered into the world. We died and yet we are still dying. There are these current repercussions of sin, that mankind is currently falling short of the glory of God. The glory, I mean, that surpassed Adam and Eve's glory. The glory that is his and his alone. I mean, this is, this is what we failed to do. Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve had a particular type of glory in being created in God's image in their sinlessness, but it wasn't God's glory. They had the opportunity, had they been victorious, to then have the glory and the righteousness of God that is currently ours now by virtue of faith in Christ. That, our, that, the, that the glory that the Christian has exceeds the glory that Adam and Eve had pre-fall in the garden because our glory is the glory of God given to us by faith. And this is a working of God's grace. We are justified by his grace. We are set free. We are declared innocent. We are declared not guilty. Not by anything that you have done. Not by any, any studying that you have done. But it's solely by the grace of God. You see that in verse 24? I mean, we have fallen short of the glory of God, and we are justified by his grace as a gift. The only reason any of us are sitting in here today and beholding the righteousness, righteousness of God by faith in Christ and, and being drawn to worship him and love him is because God has so graciously allowed us to. It's by his grace that you and I can see him through the eyes of faith. To be justified by his grace is not different than being justified by faith, which is what it is that we'll talk about here shortly, but it's, it's to point to the ultimate source. It's to point to the disposition and the nature 
of the one who has given us the gift of faith by which we can be justified. God is gracious, so it's a gift of grace. I think of the way that um, other passages of Scripture talk about the nature of God. The components of him that, are, that, that, that highlight his, and, and magnify his graciousness, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, his steadfast love. His goodness to us. Faith is the instrument of my salvation. Grace is the disposition and the action of the one that has granted me faith. And just how gracious God is and magnificent God is, is seen more clearly in verse 25 and 26. But we notice here that what it is that we have by his grace is redemption. You've been bought. You've been purchased. You belong to him. You think about what an incredible relief that is for you as a believer. That when he purchases you, the currency that he used to purchase you was his blood. And then when he buys you and purchases you, he doesn't just do it arbitrarily, but he does it purposefully, specifically in love for you with the intent of keeping you, which he does till the end. You cannot be lost if you've truly been given the gift of faith. If you are truly in Christ and you behold him, your confession is, you are the Christ, you're the son of God. I believe in you. But, but with, with conviction of the Holy Spirit, and these words are true for you, then you are his and you will rest and rejoice in his grace that he has shown you. And keep an eye out for his grace as it continues to be poured out into your life. Not only is faith our instrument of sight and faith an instrument of God's grace, but faith is actually the instrument by which we receive Christ. We see this in verse 25. There's the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. Who is he talking about? God put forward Christ Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Do you see, do you see this? He says in verse 22, through faith. In verse 25, by faith. In verse 26, has faith. Faith is the key instrument by which all of these things are true for the believer. By faith, God, God, God gives you the gift of faith by which you can now see his righteousness and enjoy it. God gives you the gift of faith by his grace. And by, God gives you the gift of faith to receive Christ as your propitiation. And you can know that he is your propitiation because God put him forward. He offered him up. You realize that what Christ did upon the cross, there was complete unanimity and, and agreement between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When Scripture says that for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross and scorned its shame, 
He joyfully went to the cross. The Father joyfully put him forward, and the Spirit was rejoicing in all of it as well, that God's plan of redemption is being accomplished in real space and time. What was always existing in the mind of God from eternity past was now coming to fruition in real space and time on, Mount Gog- on the hill of Golgotha. Faith is the instrument by which we receive Christ. He was put forward, as I would call it, in the covenant of redemption. Put forward as a propitiation. A propitiation as a sin offering to appease God's wrath. It's pictured in the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And this begins to solve the issue of how can God mercifully save the sinner without compromising his justice. God's mercy can be received by us, and yet his justice and his hatred towards sin be upheld because he pours his wrath for sin out upon the Son. He is our propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice. And by faith in him, we receive the mercy of God and are set free from the penalty of that sin. And this is entirely good news. And not only that, but I want us to consider, and this goes back to what it is that I was speaking about a little bit ago, about the disposition, the nature of God in putting forward his son for us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you want to know, is God a loving God? Look no further than him putting forward the son for you to pay for your sins. Not just sins that you committed before, today and tomorrow. See how completely and thoroughly the love of God has been displayed for you in Christ. And know that this is true, right? Like, if if you have faith in Christ, then he is actually your propitiation. He has actually received the wrath for you. And you stand now and rest in a relationship with God that was completely initiated by him, sustained by him, being accomplished by him for his glory and for your good and your enjoyment. Like, part of the thing that I think is so helpful in looking at passages like this is that it, it, it reminds us of, of what it is that we currently possess by faith. Like, Christ has paid your debt. There is no debt for you to pay. That's good news. Thomas Goodwin, Puritan, said this, and I thought this was so, this warmed my heart. You can raise no objections against yourself, neither poverty nor folly nor lack of memory and understanding, nor weakness nor sinfulness. I say there is no objection at all that you can raise against yourself that may hinder your salvation. Why? Because he justifieth freely by his grace. There is no difference. A beggar and a king have the same shadow in the sun. Sins, my brethren, make no difference, either the greatness or the smallness of them, to hinder salvation for those of us who are in Christ, by union with him. You think about 
what it is that you currently have by faith. And I'm telling you, some people are like, oh, you're going to run the risk of telling people that, that this is, if they're a Christian, they have this by faith, and this is what Christ has done for them. Now they're just going to go live how they want. No, you won't. You won't live how you want for your own kingdom, for your own desires, for your own lusts and flesh. If you truly understand what is yours in Christ, now he has paid for you. What this does is it, it kicks up within the heart the desire to, to be obedient to him, to know him, to love him, to want him, to seek his glory, his kingdom, his righteousness above all things. I mean, he becomes the object of affection in life itself. Paul would tell the church in 1 Thessalonians, if you were doing well, and so because of this, now we live. Like Paul, he was able to say, I, I actually am able to live because I hear you are doing well spiritually. Like that is, that is a work of the Spirit that shows that someone has seen, has their eyes focused on the glory of God, the, the spiritual good of their brothers and sisters in Christ, and freely preaches the gospel of God's grace knowing that what that does is that creates a heart of love and gratitude and humility. So know this, that if you are in Christ, you can raise no objection against yourself. What can separate you from the love of Christ? There is now no longer what? For those who are in Christ Jesus, Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because faith is the instrument by which God gave you to make these things true. It's not the strength of your faith. It's not the quality of your faith. You live life like that, you will be up and down from day to day. Does God love me? Does he not love me? Am I pleasing him? Is he not pleased? Am I not pleasing him? You go be tossed to and fro. You understand that faith is the instrument and you, and you rest and you rejoice and then you begin to live rightly for him. So rest in it, embrace it. The last thing that we see is this. Faith is the instrument of our justification. Faith is the instrument of sight. Faith, faith is the instrument of God's grace. Faith is the instrument to receive Christ. And faith is the instrument of our justification. It says in verse 26, the end of verse 25. This was to show, God, right, God put forward the Son as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We see in verse 25 that it is his divine forbearance. What type of forbearance does it take to overlook sins being committed, waiting until the time where you could express your anger and your wrath for that sin upon the right object? Divine forbearance. I mean, divine forbearance is what, what we need, too, to, be, to wait, to be long-suffering, to be that patient. God, in, in, he, he passed over former sins. It's not as if he just didn't, like, see them or, or just, you know, block them from his memory. I mean, people have always been justified by faith. David was justified by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. But God was passing over their sins that they had committed in the sense that he was waiting 
to express in real space and time his wrath upon their sin, but not upon them, upon the Son. God divinely waited for the moment where he would put forward his son in real space and time. He would live this perfect life. He would be crucified this horrible death. And upon that time, God would express the fullness of his wrath upon all the sins that he had formerly passed over and upon all the sins that he knew were going to be committed and, and, and without hesitation poured it all completely out upon his son as the atoning sacrifice. And he receives that divine wrath for you and for me, for those of us who are in Christ. And because of it, you're justified. You're free. If you are in Christ, you are free today because of what he's done upon the cross. He waited and he poured it out. He drank the last drop of the fury of divine wrath that we deserve fully and completely. To the, he emptied the cup. And by virtue of your union with Christ, you have that today, now. By faith. Faith is the instrument of your justification. Faith is the instrument by which you see God rightly. Faith is the instrument by which Christ is your atoning sacrifice. And faith is the instrument by which you have been justified. And we're talking about the, the, the initial reconciliation that is made right between the sinner and God. Now, what's interesting, right, is that faith is going to play kind of this small role in how a believer lives going forward. I mean, the believer lives by faith. You walk by faith. But what he's talking about here is, is this initial reconciliation between God and man that God would want us to know by faith if we are truly his. Shows his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. The bill has been paid, past, present, future. And God is just in that he has executed and expressed his wrath towards sin, and he is the justifier, and that we see that it is all his work. He is just, and he is the justifier, to remind us and to show us that it's all completely of him, which reminds us that faith is the instrument of God's grace his gracious work in our lives. Spurgeon said this, if you are really resting in Christ, though your faith be but a spark and a thousand devils may try to quench that one spark, yet you are not condemned. You stand accepted in Christ. I mean, this is what justification means. You have been set apart. You are his. You belong to him. My encouragement is for us to rest in that and rejoice in that, to see faith as the instrument of all of these things. When I see, when, when faith is the instrument of all these things in my life, it frees me to God. It frees me to worship him. It frees me to enjoy him. It frees me to rest in him. It affords me a tremendous amount. All comfort and peace and joy comes from seeing these things to be truly mine by God's gracious gift of faith in my life. When he gives me the gift of faith, 
it has built into it the propitiation of Christ and my justification. You, you get it all. It's a complete package by which we can rest and live. I'm not saved by my measure of faith, but I'm a, I'm a possessor of it. And it gives me a true, what I would call, what I've been talking about, a pilgrim, a true pilgrim theology where I live life knowing that I have been given this perfect righteousness that has been earned by another and by which I live out of joyfully for his glory and for the good of others. And it helps me live by faith. Faith as the grounds. If, faith, if my faith were the grounds the faith that I could conjure up, the faith that I could maintain, the faith that I could express were the grounds of my justification and the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Well, then that traps me. It shackles me. It makes me so that the performing of my faith determines the level of God's love for me and it determines the level of assurance I have in God and in his promises. But faith as the instrument, it assures me of his promises. It lets me know that these things are mine fully and completely by his gracious gift to me. And they never change in degree or quality or goodness. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's what it is that we partake of when we partake of communion every week. Our eyes are drawn to the finished work of Christ. Our eyes are drawn to what it is that he has accomplished and not just, upon, not just in putting the son forward and accomplishing those things upon the cross, but what he has accomplished in opening my eyes to understand and see them truly for what they are. There are many people, maybe even some today, that have this mental ascent and understanding. Yes, I believe Jesus was a real person. I believe Jesus died upon the cross for sin. I believe Jesus rose from the grave, but it is just religious knowledge. My prayer is that God would give you the eyes of faith to see those things in a way that shows there's a true work of the Spirit that allows you to see Christ upon the cross, but see him hanging there for you and see him dying for you and see him rising for you and see him ascended into heaven and mediated and interceding for you today as he has paid it all and you again rejoice and worship him in that that's what it is that our, our eyes are drawn to when we partake of communion partaking of we're reminded of his work upon the cross his body broken his blood shed that accomplishes this for us and so it's a time of worship. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of examination. And it's good for us to do so. So the elements are on the tables behind you. And you can get those and return back to your seat. And after some time of prayer, we will partake of communion together shortly.